Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 26, four verses tonight. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 26. Solomon writes, we pick up right where we left off as we're going through the book, and Solomon writes, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Just four verses tonight, finishing up chapter 7, and we get into a lot more of the same thing. Solomon is seeking. Solomon is searching. Solomon wants satisfaction. He wants to experience satisfaction. He wants to see true satisfaction in life. This is what we've shared. You, you, can, you can wrap up this as a, as a theme so far in this book and, and for the rest of it. Solomon's desire to be satisfied. Solomon used his wealth to try to buy contentment, and he couldn't do it. He couldn't get it that way. He was desiring fulfillment by way of wisdom, didn't use it in the best way, and he didn't find it. Now he speaks of his attempt at satisfaction. Well, partly, he speaks on this concerning the woman. Solomon in relationship to a woman. When I used to talk on this subject to the teenagers, I would put my hands over my eyes for a minute like I was embarrassed. But this is too important a subject to truly be embarrassed about. It's too important a subject for anyone to consider it awkward so we don't teach it or something like that. It's just way too important for that as we think about relationship. And Solomon has an experience. And he shares it with us and it's a help to us. In thinking about this, you know, and the desires of the flesh. It, you Think about being out on the ocean. You're out stranded on a boat in the middle of the ocean. Eventually, you're going to get thirsty. 
you're going to want some water. Hello, there's water all, all around you in the ocean. That's, that's the desire. But what about that salt water in the ocean? What, what did your parents tell you when they took you to Galveston or maybe you got to go to a prettier beach, but no matter what, they said, don't drink the water. Not that water. I mean, thirst would be real. The water would be real. The need for it would be real. The desire for it would be real. But that salt water will not help. Not only will it not help, but it'll hurt. You know, salt water contains such a large amount of salt that it can do quite a bit of damage to the kidneys. I mean, the kidneys will end up producing an increased sensation of thirst because of their need for water to solve the problem. But if the only water around is salt water and you drink more, it's actually adding more damage and more problems to the kidneys. The excess of salt will kill you. I started using Mrs. Dash already. I hear stories and people have explained this stuff to me and, and I, I'm not saying I don't use any, but, but a container of Mrs. Dash gets used in the house. I mean, we, so we would end up dying at thir- of thirst at sea with, with what we desire being all around us, but it's not the water that we need. Long story short, thinking of the subject, indulging in what we desire leads to destruction. God has put up some guardrails around relationship and marriage so that we don't destroy ourselves. Again, verse 26. No jokes, men. This is, we'll, we'll clean this up. There's no jokes about this. And I find more bitter than death the woman. Okay whose heart is snares and nets, and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. It says woman, and it says her. Let's, let's have our minds on opposite sex. Okay? You know, in, in Proverbs, we find serious warnings on this subject from Solomon. I'll, I'll turn to one, Proverbs 6 and verse 23. It says, For the commandment is a lamp, and the law is a light, and reproofs of instruction are the way of life. 
to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman, lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids. For by means of a horse woman, a man is brought to a, place, a piece of bread, and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom, and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals, and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, who whosoever toucheth her shall not be Innocent, Solomon has given serious woman's what was serious uh, direction on the danger of the opposite sex. And in his search, apart from the will of God, he found himself caught in the very thing. In a snare is one way he says it. What an important subject. What dangers there are in the, in the serious warnings in the Bible. Who's exempt from the possibility of falling into this temptation and giving in? Reminds me, the answer to that question reminds me of a story that Pastor Stone has told a few times through the years about a preacher who kind of campaigned, if you will, against a certain sexual sin. And, and I guess the whole church was campaigned against it. They were against this sin. I don't, I don't know if the focus came off of Jesus Christ and on this particular sin, but not too long down the road, this preacher had fallen and given into the temptation of the very sin that he was against. So this subject comes up through our Wednesday night Bible study and you consider who's here on a Wednesday night and it's many of the faithful who are able to be here on Wednesday nights and you know it would be a wrong thought if I said well this subject isn't fitting here maybe I'll just preach it to the teenagers when I get an opportunity sometime I would be so wrong in saying that because none of us are above falling into any kind of sin you know, maybe we might relate this to uh, a, a, another sin and the danger of another sin. We have our strengths and our weaknesses, but, but I don't think anyone, I, I say I don't think, I know that none of us can say that there is a particular sin that we would never fall into, that we would never give into. I, I think that's an unwise statement for anyone to make. If anyone ever says, I would never do that, I don't think that's very wise to say that. I don't, I'm not going to say that, I hope. Tell me if I do and, and cut me off. And I, and I hope you don't say that you would never uh, fall to these things. When we think about this subject or, or the subject of sin or the subject of someone falling into sin, we we need to consider something in this that kind of ties what I just said into moving forward with this. We need to consider our attitude about others falling into sin. And God's going to use us to help others. God's going to use us to go to others. But we need to be very sensitive to how we do so. Very, very humble and how we do it. How are we going to be humble in, in going to someone who has 
fallen into something maybe we never have. How are we going to be humble about it? Well, the Lord's Word would always have us to be sensitive to the fact that we could be on the other side of the table one day. And it could be us. Let me, let me just read what, what the Holy Spirit led Paul to write in Galatians 6.1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, any of us could fall to anything. None of us can say, I would never do that. Solomon fell into sin with the opposite sex. And he talks about snares. And he talks about nets. And he talks about bands. And he's speaking of his experience as he fell prey into something, into these traps. This negative experience. God is turned around in Him to use, to be a help to you and I. To give wise warnings to you and I that we would not do the same thing that He did. One of my mentors years ago humbly admitted to me most of his sins, I would say, maybe I'm wrong about that, uh, he wasn't glorying in sin or anything like that, but he told me his sin. And he told me the consequences he experienced for his sin. And he did so because he really wanted to impact me not to do the things that he did. Not that that gets it all done, but he wanted God to use him in any way he could on his past failures that I might be able to avoid some of those things. What a, what a great sign of repentance when someone is humble over their past falling and their past failure. And they're willing to be used by God. Willing to lovingly give that warning of how this hurts and that hurts and, and don't do this to yourself. Don't let this happen. That's a great sign of true repentance. Solomon here is telling us about something that he failed in and given warning. And what a common, strong temptation that he is on the subject of, that he gives to you and I by way of warning. It's a lot different than what the kids hear in school. It's a lot different than what adults will hear around the water cooler at work. What Solomon has to say. You know, a, a young man prof professing Christ as his Lord and Savior went to school and his fellow students, unsaved, they were talking about something on this subject and... I don't know, the word rush came up, the word excitement came up, and he was being tempted, and he gave in to the temptation that his peers were telling him about. And next thing you know, he's sitting in the yard in a lawn chair beside the preacher with his head hung down, just sick with emptiness over what somebody said was a rush. 
and very exciting that he had given in to. By the way, let me, let me say this because there's an order of these things in relationship. Let me say this. There, there, there is forgiveness. You know, go and sin no more. There, there, is, there is a cleansing and a forgiveness for this. That's, I'm, I'm saying that, and I'm saying that because it's true. I don't believe anyone's going to play the, a game of asking forgiveness in this over and over or anything like that, but I just, want, I just feel led to say that. There is forgiveness for these things and, and turning from these things, but yet what happened to this young man in high school? Millions and duplicate this sin instead of listening to the Holy Spirit's direction through Solomon this temptation. You know, we can't escape being tempted. We're going to be tempted while we are on this earth until we go to heaven. Temptation is never going away. By the way, temptation is not sin. We are tempted to sin. Tempted to give in to sin, though. We're always going to be tempted this side of heaven. However, we can overcome individual instances of temptation, we can. We can overcome those things and not give in to those things. But we can't do so by our own determination. We can't fight temptation by talking bad about the sin. We can't fight temptation by someone committing the same sin against us and just thinking about how much it hurts and thinking, I would never do that. I would never do that to someone. That, that won't do it. That will not cause us to be victorious over giving in to temptation. But we can overcome temptation by the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us. And I'm telling you tonight that there's nowhere else and there's no other way to be able to defeat temptation. But in Jesus Christ, we can. He is greater than all our temptation. He is greater than, than all sin. His Word warns us and helps us to see and identify temptation. His Word helps us to be able to see how to fight temptation. We fight it by walking with Him. We fight it by the Word of God. Look at the good news we read in verse 26 toward the end. God, whoso pleaseth God, shall escape from her. You know, the, the thing about temptation and escaping temptation, we do, but it's going to come right back. It's kind of like, it's kind of like that old boxer dog I brought home off the streets one time, just as calm as it can be. And Shelly took it to the vet, got it all nursed up. And man, that I would throw that dog. When he got to feeling good, I could throw that dog. And before he hit the ground, I promise you, he was coming right back at me. I didn't have the energy to wrestle with that dog or play with that dog. Temptation's going to come right back at us. Let's, let's understand the reality of that, this warfare we're in and what's happening. It is going to. But, but whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her. Joseph came out of his coat. 
He was walking with the Lord. He was submitted to the Holy Spirit. And in an instance like that, he came right out of his coat. We must look to and depend on and walk with the Lord to escape this. There's there's something else that can happen though. If we don't please God and escape it, there's, there's something else. What does it say? God, whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. To be taken by this temptation. With, with the opposite sex, that's, that's an alternative. Man, the, there's, there's serious damage in this subject matter that God's leading Solomon to talk about. There's serious damage in it. Therefore, it deserves our attention. Therefore, it should awaken all of us to ponder the Word of God, to to be into the power of the Word of God, which is what we need to resist temptation. It should awaken all of us to spend more time in prayer and to realize how close we all are to the edge of the cliff in giving in to something like this. We must armor up every morning because of the temptation that could come our way on any given day when we wake up. Morning devotion is very good and is very important. What are we going to face on a given day? None of us can answer that. Now, now we can... We can guess that what our drive to work is going to be like and the environment at work and, and the same old, same old, but we can't guarantee it's going to be the same old, same old. I'm not going to expound, but wrong person, wrong place, wrong time. We need to realize how much, how desperate we are to need to walk with the Lord closely to armor up every morning because it's only in God's strength that we're going to overcome temptation and not fall into sin. Verses 27 and 28. I believe some preachers and teachers might avoid an entire book of the Bible due to a few verses sometimes. And at the moment, I'm not talking about the subject matter. I'm talking about the understanding of a verse or two of of 3% of an entire book and, and the whole book being avoided for that. I'm not going to do that. Let's read verses 27 and 28. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not one man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I found not. Well, I was blessed long ago with giving, being given a lot of good commentaries as well as word studies, but as you, as you would look at commentaries of some really good preachers, and as they differ on what they have to say about a verse, well, it's, it, it's time to stop and really take a good look at it. Kind of kind of stay on the high road and, and, and consider the general understanding here. 
This book is about Solomon looking for satisfaction. We have the number of a thousand in these verses. One thousand. That that kind of puts some things together. Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That wasn't okay at all. He had them. That's a thousand. We parallel beside those thousand, one thousand men we understand by what is being said in this verse. The thousand women he had a relationship with. A thousand men we have here also. Solomon's looking for satisfaction. He takes this number of these 2,000 and he's looking to see satisfaction. He's observing lives for an example, a model of what he's looking for in a satisfied, content Fulfilled life. Guys, there's one out of that thousand. Women, there's there's zero out of that thousand. This is not about Solomon being demeaning to women. It's It's not any... Don't get off track with anything like that. Solomon obviously agrees with the virtuous woman. And her value is is far above rubies. He's not being male chauvinist. He's in a 2,000 person experiment, okay? And it just so happens in this experiment that he finds one out of 2,000 who has what he's been searching for. A content, satisfied life. He's not hating on women at all. This is simply the look into the lives for a character trait that he's looking to see. I mean, mean it's kind of like two million children of Israel. And God said, I have a promised land for you. This is your land. There's giants in the land. You go take your land. This is your land I'm giving to you. Two out of two million would have. One preacher said, I'm afraid the ratio of those who are truly trusting their lives to the Lord is the same today. So this is an experiment. And he finds one. How rare. How rare it is to to find something like that. One teenage boy was told, see that girl right there? You go be friends with that girl. Be a friend. And then in your mid-twenties or whenever, marry her. She's... She'd be a good wife for you. He didn't listen. And, and it ended up being right that the young woman's in her some, some kind of mid-twenties area today and a good woman who'd make a good wife. He didn't do it though. I, 
I just mention these things because of how rare this experiment was with Solomon in that day. You'd argue that it's very rare today to find a content, fulfilled, satisfied, wise person. It is a hard find today. Solomon's in Solomon's search and today. Kind of goes back to the, the beginning subject we were into. Very important matter. Very important matter. Pray for your children's marriage and your grandchildren's marriages. Verse 29. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. How much blame do you think God gets? God gets a lot of blame for a lot of things. There's sin in this world. God made man upright though. God said it was good. God said it was very good. Adam was good. And then he sinned. And he passed it on to us. Let's not blame God who made man upright for man's fall and the decisions man makes and the things that man does. Let's not blame God for that. For problems resulting from sin. Blame man. Look, what does it say? God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. The Bible is such a wonderful playbook for life. It's such a wonderful blueprint for life and how to live life. If everything's not directly there, it's under a principle. It's kind of like ragu spaghetti sauce. Remember that old commercial? It's in there. Mention and agree. It's in there. Oh, what do I do about this? And like, what do I do about that? It's in there. It's in the Word of God. It's a wonderful book for life. It's full of the wisdom of God. The reasoning for, for anything we do in life. God's given some revelation that, that's directly on it or it's definitely going to, to show us the right way to go. Man looks the natural way instead of the supernatural way. Oh, I, I can control and I'm comfortable with what's in this flesh. And, and so therefore, there's the thinking that way from the natural side of things instead of the supernatural side. What God has done does not need to be improved upon. What God has said in the, His Word, we cannot outdo. There's not another way. You see new and improved products in this world that man makes, but you don't see anything new and improved from God. He did it just right the first time. And forever. Oh, can we look to God and His wisdom instead of our limited human wisdom that we have. He gives us all of His. But man keeps operating 
in limited wisdom. Nothing is learned from history. Just looking back at the natural man in history, and most follow the same path. Man's wisdom instead of God's wisdom. Paul is led by the Holy Spirit to say some things about this. Starting in 1 Corinthians in chapter 1, we read things like, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. God makes foolish the wisdom of this world. I love this. Our faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Amen? Let me say that again. Our faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. There are two wisdoms. There is man's wisdom, and there is God's wisdom. These many invent... Why am I talking about that? They, God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. These many inventions of man does not come from God's wisdom. All of this, all of this is needed for this satisfied, content life that Solomon is searching for that God gives that any of us can have. 1,999 out of 2,000. They just they missed it. They didn't have it. They didn't have that contentment and that peace and that fulfillment in their life. They didn't have what Solomon was looking for. That which God gives. I believe last week we shared the verse, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. Everyone, what everyone needs can be found in the Lord and His wisdom. So the Christian ought to always be humbled before God's Word. Reverence God's Word. There, there's nothing greater than God in written form and what God tells us for the life, for the order of things in life to keep us from pain, to keep us from trouble, to keep us from wrecking our lives. It's right here. What, what's right here in the flesh, it'll send us into a train wreck. But what's right here, it is life. It is life that is full of contentment and wisdom. Wow, we, we sang a song tonight. Jesus, 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 sweetest name I know fills my ever longing. How oh, Man, that's true. That'll preach right there. That's truth. That's true. Do you believe that tonight? Is Jesus the sweetest name you know? Do you believe He can fill every longing? He does. The wisdom of man. The confidence we place in self. How do we know we're doing that? How do we know if we're just kind of 
winging it with, with what's naturally within us. Maybe we see ourselves as doing better than someone else, so we, we know how to do it right. We know how to do it good. Well, our standard is not to be others. God has a perfect standard. How do, how do we know when we're longing for His wisdom and not relying on our own? We're, we want to know what the Word of God says about this decision. We want to know what the Word of God says about this or that direction we're thinking about going in. We, we want to know, know what door God wants to open in our lives. And we want to seek Him in prayer. And we want, we want Him to shut a door on something we want really bad if it's not what He wants. What does Pastor Stone say? If we were as smart as God, we would want what He wants for our lives. I, I, wow, I, I hope we're being helped. We're going to close now. I hope we're being helped by, by what God used Solomon for and what it's, what it's getting us to. True satisfaction in life. He, he gives it. He gives it and we can have it. Brother Kevin Bolding, please close our Bible study in a word of prayer. God bless you all. Have a great night.